Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. This morning, I feel like I have a specific role to play, uh, let's say that, so to speak, on the back end, and I know continuing even on uh, for the next gathering with Scott Volk, who will be sharing the word of the Lord, uh, but a specific role to play uh, in what has been happening now over the past couple of days. Uh, You see, for me, the issue of Israel is something that is incredibly central. To me, in my heart, in my life, and I would like to unpack that a little bit as to why the importance of such or the necessity for me to believe such things uh, are important into the way that I walk with Jesus in the mission that he is on. Yes, in my heart, in my family, in the nations of the earth. It is important to me because Israel becomes central when we consider the faithfulness of God. We understand those of us that are not Jewish by descent. Ephesians 2 tells us that there was a time when Gentiles, outsiders, were literally outside of the commonwealth, the covenant promises in the world without hope, without hope of a promise, without hope of God ever intersecting, intervening, doing anything that would cross the boundary lines in our direction. We were literally in a hopeless situation, but now by the wisdom of God in Christ on the cross, laying his life down, the willingness for God himself to come and offer his life for the reconciliation of the nations. Though hostile against him, the dividing wall, the wall of hostility being torn down, all of God's eternal enemies being conquered, and now this beautiful reality of Jew, Gentile, of Hispanic, African, of whatever ethnicity, whatever background, whatever upbringing you would like to define it as this beautiful reality of an expression of one new man now revealed in Christ. All the broken, fragmented pieces of the nations now have this hope to be unified, to be resurrected. We've been grafted in is the language. We're no longer foreigners or aliens, but we've been invited in to the Father's house. And now our lives being knit together in this harmony, in this otherworldly unity that we are now fighting to preserve according to the bond of peace that has been established by the blood of Jesus. You and I now share in this hope of resurrected life in Christ amongst the harvesting of the nations. That Jesus would have a bride in the earth over every generation made up of every tribe, nation, and tongue. And you and I are now a part of that. But in order to set my anchor down in the hope, in the legitimacy, if you would, of God's faithfulness to me, I have to consider and make central God's faithfulness to Israel. You see, because over the history of God's establishing of a covenant revelation and his interaction with an individual and a people, it is hinged upon his own faithfulness. And in order to believe in God's faithfulness in my life, I have to consider God's faithfulness in the life of Israel. Because consider that if some of the things that in our generation and generations past, we would have, let's say, anchored into them to be true, there could have potentially become a disruption of everything else that we would have wanted to be true also. If God were to ever decide to be unfaithful to Israel, then what would that tell me about his desire to be faithful to me? If God were to ever dig up and let's say root out his deep-seated faithfulness in the place and in the life 
of Israel, it would immediately become a swirling disruption to everything in my own heart that has stabilized me and given me a sense of security in God, in Christ, by the Spirit, and the way that I am now walking in and out that faithfulness that I know God has. It would be very difficult to try to believe God's faithfulness to me if I did not have a reference point. You see, the centrality of something is the constitution of something upon which other things are dependent, upon which other things find their hinge point. And our belief that God is faithful hinges upon, it is dependent upon, because we have been grafted into something. There was already a promise. There was already a covenant. There was already a hope. But the language of Ephesians 2 says that we were on the outside of that with no hope of knowing how to cross the threshold of the boundaries. But that because of God's wisdom and his incredible faithfulness, he chose a people through which he would be able to bless the rest of the nations of the earth. You see, I recognize and understand our mission in the nations and the dependency that it has with God's faithfulness being central to Israel. That because God chose a people all the way back, one man, Abraham, through which a nation would come and that nation he would use to provoke the rest of the hostile nations around them. God chose a man, through a man he brought a nation and literally attempted to use a people to shine a bright light, to become a light, walking in his ways, walking in his faithfulness, living, living in covenant, beautiful reality with him, a people that would be a demonstration in the earth to provoke the rest of the hostility and the independence and the raging of the hearts of men. He would use a people to provoke them to see him as Yahweh, the Most High. But we know now and we, we understand now that through the partial blinding, that God is now using the rest of the nations to provoke Israel. We have to understand that Israel is our reference point for stability in the faithfulness of God. And it is a miracle in and of itself, the story that has been unfolding in the life of Israel. And so we do not trust in God's faithfulness to Israel simply because things have always gone well. Right, because those of you that walk with Jesus, you understand that things don't necessarily always go well. You understand that God's promise in your life, that the belief that God is with you, that he is for you, does not always necessarily mean that things are going to work out the way that you want them to, that there's not always going to be the absence of conflict, that there's not always going to be these celebratory gatherings and everyone that rallies around you is going to cheerlead you on in Jesus. This is just not the nature of how things work out. God being with them did not mean that they also did not have choices to make themselves. God being with them did not also mean that there was not hostility that constantly surrounded them. God being with them did not mean that the enemy was not always trying to form weapons against them. But this is the reference point for God's faithfulness that we find when we study out the scriptures to see how he is and this is the important part we have to understand first and foremost who he is but how he is we heard a lot about his ways yesterday in such a beautiful way and understanding God's ways should bring us into greater encouragement that he really is for us when everything around us seems to be against us. There has to come a point in our life where we grow up in God. You see, this is the goal. We want to be conformed to the image of Jesus. 
But not in our own preferences, not in our own likes, not in our own compartmentalizing of things that we agree with and things we want to associate with and little bits and pieces that we pull out of Jesus and try to sprinkle them on our lives. No, I want to be deeply rooted in Jesus as he is, conformed to his image, bearing his nature so that I can actually faithfully walk out this life in the faithfulness of God. To these things the writer of Hebrews would say in chapter 6, leaving the elementary things, let us continue on to maturity. Let Let us continue on to maturity. There's a growing up in God that happens. There's a growing up in the faithfulness of God that we develop over time. It does not happen as a byproduct. It's something that we must be diligent about. It's something that we must actually seek out. It's something that we must understand is actually potentially out there for us to apprehend. And the writer of Hebrews says, let us grow up. Let's grow up. A certain time has passed, and I understand the implications of Hebrews, and yes, but he's saying let's grow up and let's consider that there is maturity out there for us. This is a people that are going through trial. They're going through great shaking. There's all types of pressure that is crowding in around them. There's all types of resistance to what it is that they believe they have found in Jesus. There is fire that they are literally going through and being tested by. And to this, there is an encouragement, an exhortation, if you would, from the writer of Hebrews. Let's mature. Let's leave Let's leave all the elementary stuff. It's time to grow up a little bit. He says, I need you to understand something. We have an anchor in our soul, which is a hope in God. And he begins to unpack or explain a little bit where this hope actually finds its reference point. And the writer of Hebrews chooses Abraham to use as his example of how he's going to communicate God's faithfulness to a people that are under fire. He says, remember Abraham, who God swore by an oath. And because he could find no one or anything greater than himself, he chose to swear by himself, I will bless those who bless you. I will make you a great nation. And because of his promise in Abraham's life, the writer of Hebrews continues to describe, yes, he could find no one greater. He could find nothing by which he could reference his, let's say, the the history of his character and his nature against there was nothing in the earth as a reference point for God to be able to say like this so that every time you see this, you can understand the certainty of my promise. He looked and found nothing except himself. He said, so every time you look at me, he says, and by that, he promised Abraham. And he says, and Abraham patiently waited. And God proved to be faithful. Abraham patiently waited and laid hold of the promise. And he says, and we have this hope as an anchor in our souls. Abraham is an interesting example to be able to use. We're all familiar with the details of Abraham's life, but Abraham is an interesting example to be able to use because Romans 4 tells us that against all hope or against all hope, hopelessness, Abraham in hope chose to believe because there was something that he saw in God. There was a promise that he knew he had received from the Lord. There was something that he was hearing that did not match anything that he was seeing. There was something that God was revealing that went directly against everything that he knew he was experiencing. And to those of us that have set our anchor down in God himself, you realize that there are moments where God says something to you. That it's so crazy 
against what you're seeing. It's so hopeless if you try to use natural reference points that surround you. If you choose to look at, as it was for Abraham, your physical condition, your own abilities, the things that you could leverage over time in order to work yourself into an outcome that God has, re- that he has revealed, it seems to be impossible. But against everything that seemed hopeless, Abraham chose to believe. And God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham becomes the reference point that the writer of Hebrews uses to bring encouragement to those people's hearts that found themselves in troublesome waters. You see, sometimes we just need somebody to look at us and to say, God is faithful. Not just because I think so, Not just because it's some random opinion that should be celebrated, but God has a track record. He has history. He has proven himself generation over generation over generation. And in this, no matter what you see, no matter what your situation tells you, no matter what the voice of the enemy releases against you, in this, remember, God is faithful. Abraham chose to put his anchor down in the faithfulness of God against impossibility, against misunderstanding, against all of his own insecurities. Abraham said, there's something that I have seen in you. There's something that has been revealed in you. There's something about the way that you are that has now provoked me, that has given me the necessary insight and yes, also the influence in and upon my own life that you are trustworthy. And sometimes we just need somebody to look at us and remind us. Hey, listen, I know you're really going through it, but God is faithful. Listen, I know that it's really hard right now, but God is faithful. Listen, I know that you're really under duress. You're really experiencing the fire, like the trial is real. The persecution is real. The weapons of warfare that have been formed against you are real. But do not be shaken in the midst of because there's one in the midst of that is with you. And he's promised to never leave us, nor forsake us. But I understand that because of the swirling nature of life at times that wants to knock us off of our center, it becomes very easy to get disrupted in how it is that we have gathered our hearts to walk with him in faithfulness. I I, I understand completely. Life at times is very complex. Things are not easy. But God is faithful. And he reminds the Hebrews in chapter 6 of the word that God gave Abraham in the beginning to keep them centered for what they're experiencing. We have to be reminded of what it is that God has said. And this has to be our anchor. This has to be the seed that gets sown into our heart that we desire to see bear fruit over time. Because let me just tell you, it is very easy to start out with a word from the Lord, to start out in hope, to venture out believing, to set yourself with great excitement due to the reception of something that you know God has legitimately said. All of that is very easy. But when you get out, when you get out in the middle somewhere, and all of a sudden, the shaking of life comes on you. When all of a sudden there's hostile weapons that have been formed against you. When all of a sudden there's attack, there's obstacles, there's persecution, there's the exact opposite of what you encouraged your heart with in the beginning. It is very easy in the middle of a circumstance to be shaken by what you are going through and to not intentionally be reminded 
of what set you out in the first place, being the word of the Lord. Now, I'm saying something that God has actually said and not just something you wanted him to say. The two are very different. (laughs) With an actual word from the Lord to get out in the middle and to experience a shaking and to begin calling audibles (laughs) because of the pressure, to begin calling audibles because of all of the hostility and the raging turmoil that you seem to be experiencing. An audible is when you deviate from the original plan, right? As it is in sports, in football specifically, when you come up to the line and you recognize that your offense is not going to do well against the defense, you call an audible. Because you think to yourself, man, if we run this play, we're gonna get hammered. Like this doesn't make any sense. There's not going to be any forward progress. We're not going to actually move in a forward direction. It's not going to prosper. There's not going to be an advantage for us to continue with the game plan looking by what we seem to be up against. It seems like the defense has called a play to shut down the offense. And so when you get to the line, because everything sounds great in the huddle. Everything sounds amazing in the huddle. Hey, listen, man, I know you can do this. I know you can do this. You block this. You go here. You go there. Ready? All right, yeah, that sounds like a great play. And then you get up to the line, and you're like, hey, that doesn't sound like such a great play. <laughs> Seems like they, they're on to us. They know what we are doing. They've called a strategic opposition trying to resist our offense, trying to resist our forward movement. We must call an audible. An audible is when you deviate from the original plan, seeking an outcome that can overtake the opposition. It's easy when you get out to begin calling audibles because of what you see, thinking that what you see is greater than what you know you've heard. It's easy when you get out to think that the resistance of the enemy has finally put you in a place where it's going to shut down all of God's faithfulness in your life. It's easy when you get up to the line and you want to keep running and you want to keep moving and you want to keep doing what it is that God has said to completely come unhinged from the idea that he's going to be faithful because everything I'm experiencing does not seem to be speaking to me about how faithful he is. It's easy to call audibles. But to this, we have the encouragement of Jesus, who says, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And my word in you, right in the reference of the branches and the vine, for I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you abide in me, this is John 15, if you abide in me because I am in you and my word which is in you, my desire for you is that you would bear much fruit. Bearing much fruit comes through the continual abiding in Jesus, not becoming disrupted, not calling audibles, but being steadfast, being diligent, keeping security, understanding the nature of God's faithfulness, even up and against everything we seem to be experiencing. Jesus says, it's my desire that you bear much fruit. And he comes down to verse 11 and he says something that is a little, it's a little overwhelming to me in the consideration of the conversation that we're having. He says, I have spoken these things to you so that you would have much joy. So that my joy would be in you. So that you would be full of joy. He says, I've spoken to you so that you can have joy. I've spoken to you so that my joy can be in you and that you can be full of joy. Being full of joy means that you are joyful. (laughs) I know that's really (laughs) deep. (laughs) I, I get that. Being full of joy means that you are joyful. And our promise of joy is not contingent upon the exemption from trial. Our promise of joy 
does not equally mean that joy is only made real and that is only available as long as we're not experiencing anything that would contradict us being able to be joyful. But actually our promise of joy is not even rooted in any earthly circumstance. Jesus says, I have spoken to you so that you can have joy. He didn't say you're going to have joy when all of your ducks are in a row. He didn't say you're going to have joy when everything is working out the way that you want it to. He didn't say you're going to have joy when you finally get the promotion, when you look at your bank account statement and supernaturally there's an addition of two zeros at the end. He didn't say you're going to have joy when all of what you've been praying about, you finally get breakthrough and everything seems to be working out just as you've always desired. He didn't say any of those things. Now we want those things, but he didn't say that joy was dependent upon those things. He said, I've spoken to you. I'm revealing to you the way through which continually you can be rooted in joy even when up against the great opposition to what you know to be my faithfulness. He said, abide in me. Abide in me. If you keep your life deeply rooted in me, then you continually have the promise to be joyful. At least it's available. <laughs> right? We need to be a joyful people. Okay, I'm going to come over here. We need to be a joyful people. Not not when the breakthrough happens. Not when the miracle actually happens. Not when the circumstance that I feel like I've been in the trenches and under fire and that I've been hotly pursued by the enemy and the wages of warfare and weapons formed against me, not when all of these things are no longer around. We need to be a deeply rooted people in the love and faithfulness of Jesus, full of joy. First Peter 1 says, even while being hotly tested, trial by fire, because you have seen him, because you have chosen to love him, that you have joy unspeakable and full of glory. We need to be a joyful people in the midst of persecution. We need to be a joyful people in the midst of uncertainty. Abraham against hope chose to believe. We need to be a joyful people in the face of hopelessness. Now understand when I say growing up in God, being conformed to the image of Jesus, I'm not talking about simply faking it until you make it. I'm not talking about with all of the learned externals, knowing how to seem like you are getting through something. There is an enormous difference between getting through it and going through it well with Jesus. And one is an issue of maturity that we are desperately seeking in God by the transformative power of the Spirit. To where God is making us something. That in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of misunderstanding, in the midst of all of what seems to be hopeless, we are rooted in Jesus. We are abiding in Jesus. The situations of my life are no longer shaking me around and knocking my devotion completely off center, but I am rooted regardless of what seems to be happening. I'm steady. I'm constant. I am rooted. I am in him. He is in me. Now, that doesn't automatically mean I understand everything that's happening. But understanding is no longer the God that I worship. <laughs> Reason is no longer the God that I worship. Information is no longer the God that I worship. You see, there's, there's something about us that as we've matured over time, I don't necessarily have to understand it well to want to go through it well. 
I don't necessarily have to have all of the information that I think I may require in any given situation because my life has seen something in him and I know that I am in him and that he is in me and that because I have been deeply rooted in his love and in his faithfulness that there is a promise of a hope that has become an anchor to my soul, that there is a security in his faithfulness that cannot disrupt me even when I'm up against things that don't seem to be speaking the same language of what it is that I'm believing in my heart I am in him and things are becoming becoming I want to go through things well with Jesus but this requires an intentionality in the way that we posture ourselves and the perspective that we create for the way that we are going to live our lives because there's a huge difference between getting through it we know this game We scramble, we make ends meet, we do whatever we can to cast off the pressure, we do whatever we can to fight off all of the things that we don't like, we do whatever we can to put ourselves in favorable situations, we do whatever we can to preserve our sense of happy. (laughs) Let me me just encourage you, There's there's a difference between happy and joy. Right now, when you are joyful, you may be happy. Yes. But being happy does not always mean you are full of joy. One is a state of feeling. The other is a state of being. And as joyful people, our promise of joy is not tethered to circumstantial evidence. As a promise of joy, our joy is not anchored in the facts of our situations. Our promise of joy is anchored in the life of a real person, and that being Jesus. Jesus embodies joy. The qualities or the characteristics of the Spirit that we find even in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So the Spirit in you, in me, is working to form the image of Jesus, and in forming the image of Jesus, we are being formed into joyful people. My anchor of joy is in his face. It's not in the facts. And because I'm rooted in Jesus, I have no excuse not to be joyful. But this takes, it takes maturing. (laughs) It takes maturing to know that I can be well even if I'm not going through something that seems to be well. To know that what I'm going through no longer determines how I'm doing. Well, how, hey, brother, how are you? Man, I'm fantastic. I'm great. But man, I just heard you telling so-and-so that this is what you're going through and this is what you're up against and this is the report that you just received. I said, yeah, you asked me how I'm doing. I'm doing great. (laughs) I'm doing great. You see, because how I'm doing is no longer determined by what life seems to be doing to me. Paul in Philippians 4 would have said it this way. I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. He says, I'm not speaking to you out of want. This is verse 11, 12, and 13. I'm not speaking to you out of want. He said, I've learned how to live with little, to be in desperate need. He said, I've learned the opposite side. The other end of the spectrum, to be abounding in what seems to be much and luxury. He said, but there's something in the center that matters more to me than any one of the opposite extremes. And I've learned the secret. It's Christ in me. You see, how I'm doing is no longer determined by what I'm going through. I don't have to be going through good to be good. And even when it may seem like I'm on the opposite end and all of hell seems to be broken out against me, I am great because it's Christ in me. And I know that this Jesus is faithful because there's a reference point for me to constantly look back to. Whenever I'm questioning the faithfulness of God in my own life, I remember he's faithful to Israel. He's been faithful for thousands of years. And if he's had his faithfulness traced back for thousands of years, surely he can handle the 37 years of my life up until this point. 
We have a promise to be a joyful people under pressure and against persecution, going through great trial. It's in the midst of that actually is one of the revealings of how otherworldly of a people we are. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. You see, the world has celebratory moments when you come to conclusions. We don't celebrate at the end. We celebrate at the beginning. We celebrate all the way through. And if the end matches whatever it was possibly that we hoped in the beginning, we celebrate at the end. But we celebrate at the end even if we don't necessarily get what we want. The Hebrew children said, you can put us in there, but you putting us in there doesn't change what I have in here. Because what I have in here is burning on the inside of me. Even if you put me in a place where fire is raging all around me, I will not bow. For those of you that think I forgot, Psalm 23 feel like Bob. And now I'll start my message. <laughs> Psalm 23, David would have wrote it this way. I know it's very familiar and we'll just track through it quickly uh, because I believe we, we have a goal. David writes, for the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I want you to hear this from a certain perspective. This is a man that obviously has experienced the cravings of life in specific directions. But he's saying that something has happened to him by him giving his life to Jesus, right? His life now anchored deeply in the love of God is actually changing who he is as a man. And because he is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because what I've seen in him crushes every other desire that I've ever had. I've known a life of want, but something happened to me when I found him. I've known a life of cravings. I've known a life of lustful desires. I've known a life which has been by the flesh and governed by or dominated by all of the desires and the cravings and the lusts that this flesh at times can try to perpetuate. But I've seen something in him and what has happened to me because of my response to him. He is my shepherd. And I shall not Want. You don't say, I shall not want if you've never been in a place where there are things that you've wanted outside of him. But now because of him, all of these other wants have been broken because of his great love and faithfulness that I've experienced for me. And now he is the one that shepherds and takes care of my heart and my life. He says, for the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. You ever, for those of you that have kids, you recognize when your kids get overwhelmingly tired. You see, I have some that are small right now. Um, if you're watching, uh, I love you guys. Um, I have some that are small right now, and my four-year-old, when she gets really tired, everything becomes a meltdown, everything. Dad, can I have the blue popsicle? Well, baby, we only have green left. Like everything becomes a meltdown. Because of her exhaustion. Because of her lack of rest. <laughs> and sometimes I recognize, you see, some of you are having a meltdown right now because of your lack of rest. But I recognize the condition that she's in. And I know what's best for her is to go and lay down, is to go and rest, because resting is powerful. And I know that if she will just go and lay down, that it's gonna be better for the general population of the house. It's gonna be better for her, but it's gonna be better for us as well. And so I'll say, go lay down. Like, no, 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 you're going to lay down. Dad, I'm not tired. And in 30 seconds, she's asleep. 
right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is for those of us that are in desperate need of rest. This is for those of us that because of our own desires and our own want to try to lead our life that many times leads us into restlessness instead of into the beautiful hope and the power and the reality of rest in God. Because there's a rest and an ease in God when we choose to allow him to shepherd our life and our desires and we go according to his design. There's a promise of ease and rest. Now, ease does not mean easy. Ease and easy are two different words. But there's a beautiful promise of ease and rest because he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside still waters. The raging of the soul at times. When, you see, it's, it's vitally important to understand when we're going through things, the conversation that comes up on the inside. Um, many times, it's the conversation of our heart that reveals to us where we are. Uh, even in moments where you, you don't really know how things are going to go, but that's not necessarily the point. The point is, why are you thinking the things you're thinking? <laughs> the point is, why are you trying to convince yourself of the things you're trying to convince yourself? The issue is the fear, the anxiety, the sense of hopelessness that grips your heart in different moments when you're going through different circumstances. This is the issue that God wants to deal with that in many cases is using the situation you are going through to bring things up on the inside of you so that you can be free from all of what's happening in your heart and not necessarily just exempted from what's happening to you in life. Because again, there's a difference between getting through it and going through it well. Right? It's not just that we kick and scream and bite, claw, scratch to try to get to the other side, but we want to be upright. We want to be righteous. We want to be godly. This is our promise. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This is obviously a man that would not say he restores my soul if he had never experienced brokenness. Man, and sometimes the things we go through just break us down on different levels and layers. And we need the hope in a faithful God to restore all of what may seem to be broken within me. You see, getting through it is not the same thing as being restored and walking through it well. You see, there are some of us that we've gone through incredible tragedy. We've experienced great pains. There's been devastating situations that have happened to us. There's been turmoil. There's been, yes, bad decisions and all of these other types of things. But we've experienced a lot in life whether by our own decision-making, yes, that we want to grow up through and learn how to navigate and be shepherded well by God's desires, yes. But then there's also the hostility of warfare and the intentions of the enemy at times that cause us to experience things in life that, sure, we would not have chosen for ourselves, but God is faithful even in the midst of. But just because you've gone through much does not mean you have grown much. The two are different. Just because you've been through a lot does not mean that that a lot that you've been through has also equally caused you to grow up, to gain stature, to have real substance, to now bear in your life real maturity in God by the Spirit. You could have been through potentially more than everyone around you and not been matured by anything that you've actually been through. David says he restores my soul. <laughs> he says, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, this is the discipline of the Lord because he disciplines those that he loves. Right? We, we understand that. Discipline is not punishment. He disciplines those that he loves. But it's in the midst of 
all of what seems to be hostility, all of what seems to be, because we're getting there. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Man, maybe you've never been in places, and I'm not saying like I've been to create some sort of uh, division. Uh, all I'm saying is that I am, I am well aware of seasons, days, times in life where all you can do is simply find a fixing on the face of Jesus. Because it seems as if darkness has just crowded in around you on every side. And it seems like everything that can be shaken is being shaken. It seems like as hot as the fire that I've ever experienced, it's been cranked up several notches. The intensity has increased. The weapons seem to be multiplying. The darkness seems to be crowding in. And yea, though I walk through, that there's a rod and there's a staff that disciplines me in the midst of because I want to actually learn how to walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But I don't understand how to do that because all of my desires Desires and my fleshly wants in the moment when I'm under fire or going through great duress wants me to scramble and call audibles but it takes a real maturity in the understanding of the faithfulness of God to know that there is a way, that there is a path that there is a process, that there is a rod, there is a staff, there is a discipline that has come upon my life that just won't simply let me do what I want to do because I want to know the pathway to his righteousness because I want to be like him. And as I yield to him, he forms himself in me so that I can walk through things the way that he has desired and designed. And I'm not simply just doing it my own way, trying to get to my own conclusions. I want to go through it and I don't have to be afraid because he's with me. When darkness crowds in on every side, there's a way that he gives me to walk through it. You see, in immaturity, when we approach things we don't like, it's like, okay, I gotta find a way to dodge this, I gotta find a way to get around this, I gotta find a way to get myself out of the pressure, out and underneath the circumstance. But when you begin to grow up in the faithfulness of God, you understand, regardless of the time frame, that this pressure may remain on me. I understand that he's with me. I understand that there's something he's designed for me. And this may not necessarily have been something that I chose for myself. I maybe not would have gone out looking for the valley of the shadow of death, but here we are. And I say here we are instead of here I am, because here I am sounds like I'm all alone. But here we are because he's with me. And because he's with me, I don't have to be afraid of what seems to be against me. Because he's with me, I don't have to try to scramble to get myself into either opposite extreme. Because it actually does not matter to me any longer where I am or what I'm going through because my life is not rooted in my situation. It's rooted in Jesus. I don't find my joy by the outcomes of my life. I find my joy being rooted in Jesus. It's no longer determined by me, the pathway that God has chosen for me because he's going to discipline me. He's going to cause me to walk in his path. He's going to cause me to be conformed to his image and to grow up in him. He says, I understand that things aren't going the way you want them to, but let's grow up. I understand that you're not getting what it is that you want, but let's leave the elementary things. He said, consider Abraham, even against everything impossible, everything hopeless. He had a word from God, everything impossible everything hopeless. He set his anchor down because the writer of Hebrews says God wanting to reveal the unchangeable nature of his promise and his purpose. The unchangeable nature of his promise and his purpose. The unchangeable 
nature. Some of you need to hear God has not changed his mind about the promise that he gave you. He's not changed his mind about the purpose that he spoke to you. The unchangeable nature because he's faithful. The unchangeable nature because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The unchangeable nature because he cannot be anything other than what he is. The unchangeable nature because he's not a man that he would lie. The unchangeable nature of his promise and his purpose is where we set our anchor. It's where we have our hope and it's where we continually get filled with our joy. You're not waiting for things to change to be joyful. You're not waiting for answers to come to be joyful. The Lord spoke something to me. We've been in a very hostile season. I'm sharing this even out of my own life. We've been in a very hostile season, shaking on every imaginable front from every direction possible. But the Lord spoke to me and revealed some things to me in a dream before we went through it. And he said, enjoy, enjoy. <laughs> in joy, I-N-J-O-Y, enjoy, E-N-J-O-Y. And I said, Lord, but I, I, I don't enjoy what's happening. He said, that's the problem. You're looking at the wrong thing. I said, Lord, I, I don't feel like there's any reason for me to be joyful. He said, that's the issue. You're finding the source of your joy in the wrong things. As a joy-filled people, we become otherworldly. And we break the restraints of the ways of this world upon our lives that seeks to govern us by fleshly wisdom and reason. <laughs> As a joy-filled people, others around you will begin to rally around and gather around. And as you are filled with joy in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of understanding, in the midst of utter hopelessness situations, they will see a hope, an anchor, a joy in you that is otherworldly in nature because it's not tethered to anything that should seem to be fueling it other than our faithful Jesus. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.